Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome back to Let's Get Haunted with your host, Matt Strawn and Allie. Welcome back, guys. Welcome back, everybody. We have major announcements. Major. So major. Are you guys sitting down? Buckle up. Please drop everything you're doing right now. Sit yeah, down. You gotta get your robe, tie it up tie it tight <laughs> sit in your closet and then and then press play on this podcast we have been nominated for a major award and if we win this award literally nothing happens but we will have won this award <laughs> i disagree look guys if we win this award think of what a giant middle finger it will be to all the people who have ever fucked with us throughout the duration right. of the 2 years that we've been a podcast just think about it. We were nominated for a Shorty Award, which is basically uh, like internet awards, but they're huge brands. Like Miley Cyrus wins them. Like, you know, I always use Miley Cyrus as, <laughs> as like... You're not wrong. A gauge for what success is. But yes, Miley Cyrus has won one before. I think like Taylor Swift won some like they're like big time people okay we're getting big times all right we are the only independent podcast that was nominated for so it says under best podcast it'll be like whatever so-and-so podcast produced by fox sports which is literally tom brady it was it's actually shannon sharp that one is shannon sharp uh he is a former nfl was he a linebacker I, I don't remember, but he's former NFL. You guys, if I sound weird right now, I took way too much CBD and Natalia and I literally had to wait like 30 <laughs> minutes for me to get some coffee in me to do this recording. But Shannon Sharp <laughs> is the former NFL and he's got a show on the TV. That's all I can really tell you. It's called Undisputed. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Well, thank you for that background. But let's just say Tom Brady because I feel like more people know that. that guy. <laughs> so you guys, he, isn't he nominated for one of them too? No, I was confused. Apparently, there is a nonprofit called Red, White, and Brady. But the reason why I thought it was Tom Brady is because I was incessantly checking on the website, like refresh, refresh, waiting for them to post stuff. Like at the same time, a bunch of sports podcasts, like all in a row, applied. So when I saw Red, White, and Brady next to Shannon Sharp's podcast, and then there were some other football podcasts, I was like, oh, it must be Tom Brady, but it's not. Apparently, it's. Wait, so we already beat Tom Brady? No, Tom Brady was never in the competition. Oh, damn it. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> okay, I'm just well, doing a bad job explaining because of all of the CBD and melatonin that's coursing through my veins. Well, basically, Nickelodeon has a podcast that's in there. Fox Sports has a podcast that's in there. 
Merriam-Webster, the dictionary, has a podcast that's in there. And then there's Let's Get Haunted, produced by Let's Get Haunted. Yeah. So <laughs> if you guys can vote for us, go to the link that's on our Instagram, I guess, or go to our website or just fucking figure it out. I don't know. But if you guys can vote for us every single day up until March 31st, and if we win this thing... Maybe our lives will get a lot better. Maybe they'll be the same, but we'll never find out until we'll never know. we win. Yes. Also, the only reason why we're even allowed to be in this competition. So back in like January or February, I don't remember, we had asked you guys for donations so that we could apply to be in the Webbies and also the Shorties because both of those require you to like pay money for them to even consider you, which personally I think is bullshit. But thanks to you guys, we were able to enter. And then what the Shorties does is they have I don't remember how many judges it's like a hundred and something judges that go through all of the people who have submitted applications to be in the award show and then they announce nominees and finalists and we are among the finalists so we've already beat for example we beat the try guys which is a buzzfeed podcast like we already beat a bunch of people so it's really fucking cool that we're even in the finalist category and our biggest competition is fox sports it is shannon sharp's um podcast i've been looking at his instagram account just to like figure out what if he's like promoting it at all because he he has like a million followers and he has promoted it one time so i actually have a chance yeah i actually think we have a chance and just so you guys know i've gotten a lot of dms about you know people confused about how the voting works you can vote once every single day and after you vote this pop-up box will come up on your screen and it'll say plus one vote to tweet plus one vote to post to Facebook. So technically you can have three votes a day for us through mm. 331. And Natalia's right. If you go to our Instagram at let's get haunted, the link is in our bio. Please, for the love of God, if we can just get a few hundred people to vote for us every day, I really think we can beat Shannon Sharp because he's only promoted it once. And then we win an award, and right now we're making a pitch deck. One of our great friends is making a pitch deck for us to pitch to networks. And so if we can put that we're an award-winning podcast on there, we have a really good shot of getting an actual network, and then we'll actually make you guys good content. Like, I know what you're thinking. (laughs) How could your content get any better than it already is? (laughs) Right, yes. And Uh let me just tell you, it could. You guys, let me just... Let me pitch something to you, and this could be the CBD talking, but imagine <laughs> imagine Nat and Allie on a show that's exactly like Dateline, except for instead of finding <laughs> online predators, we like go to the guy's house who's behind the Willamette Dream Survey and the... <laughs> Fucking, I I can't remember the other one. What was it? What was the name of the, the other ha- survey? Happy Valley Dream the Survey. The Happy Valley Dream Survey. You guys, think about it. We could go to Randonautica headquarters. I don't know. We go to the haunted Why are we doing that? Because it's. <laughs> I need to know. I want to know who the guy behind the Happy Valley Dream oh, right. Survey is, but I don't want to do the episode he wanted us to do. Which, by the way, you guys, right. when we talked about that at the end of last year, the end of season two, when that episode went live where I was like, yeah, he wants us to cover this like super lame topic. He fucking called me. So <gasps> and you never answered. No, oh my God. because I was like, he's just going to be reprimanding me. And I don't know who this is. Yeah. I don't want you to mansplain your idea to me. 
or even murdery. though we don't understand it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> even though we could benefit from some mansplaining from time to time but please guys vote for us seriously it would help us out a lot if you're thinking of donating literally slap yourself in the face and then instead vote for us and then if you're still feeling like donating you can donate to us second big thing we need from you guys is we have phone holders aka pop sockets but they're off brand and (laughs) enamel pins that say let's get haunted that are fucking sick as fuck on our website for sale they're super dope right now for the very the very biggest fans out there or mediocre fans or small fans or people who don't even know what it is that they're buying yeah or people who hate us because yes you've heard our stalker once donated three dollars to us so that we could quote (laughs) suck dick with three dollars so you know if you hate us and you want to buy our merch to like really show us a thing or two that's fine. Also, speaking of donors, I would love to shout out our donors this episode. We have Maya L, Jonna H, Michelle H, Danielle L, Samantha P, Brenna M, Michelle H again. Thank you guys so much for donating to us. We really appreciate it. As you guys know, we are ad-free, and so your donations mean a lot to us. I would like to thank Kate K, Harvey A, Femi H, Kathleen O, and Brie L S, and of course all of the people who have bought pins or phone holders or merch from us. You guys are the real ones. Thank you so much. Seriously, a little bit goes a long way, and we really appreciate you guys so much. And as Natalia said, if you're feeling the urge to donate this week, don't do it unless (laughs) you have already voted for us every single day until the 31st and what i mean to say is if it's between those two things if you're like hey i only have enough energy and attention span to either vote for you every single day or donate to you once vote for us every single day day. that could translate into first of all bragging rights second of all maybe maybe we'll bring you dateline but for the happy valley dream survey and then i think we also get to accept an award like i think there's like a virtual award ceremony and it's pretty it has like a it's a whale's tail it's a glass whale's tail and it says shorty awards and i want i would like it you guys i took 200 milligrams of cbd (laughs) and melatonin please stay with us for this podcast why did you do that I was okay. I've been under a lot of stress recently and I had an autoimmune flare up. And so I was like, oh, let's do an experiment and see if I take a bunch of CBD, if that'll like chill me out and then I'll feel better. And it did. It worked. But also I just have like a body high now. I think this will be a good experiment for us because we'll see if we're actually better podcast hosts if one of us is high. Well, we're going to find out. We'll see if I fall asleep (laughs) in the middle of it or if I'm just terrified and having like a full-blown panic attack in the middle of it or if I hold it together. Luckily for you, this is a really gentle, fun episode. Okay. I'm excited. Yeah, I think you're going to like this episode. I think you're really going to like it. Alyssa's wearing a onesie right now, guys. Like, what is that? Is that a cat? (laughs) It's a fox. Okay, Alyssa's wearing a fox onesie. She's looking very stoned, in my opinion. (laughs) And this is why we don't have a video podcast. It is audio only. (laughs) Alyssa. Natalia. The story I am going to tell you today is a true story. Much like Russian nesting dolls. It's a story that contains layers of tradition passed down from a king to a queen to a prince to a princess 
to a mother, to a son. It's a tale of power that reveals weakness, poverty that gains wealth, generosity which breeds greed, tradition which pushes forth modernism. From birth is born murder, and from blood and dust is revealed sweet, shiny, sexy golden eggs. What? <laughs> I feel like you're sending me on a quest right now. Like you've Good. got on some puffy pants and you've unrolled a scroll <laughs> in the town square and you're just about to send me to my death. This this whole episode is to get people pumped up about going on a quest for my personal game. Okay. Okay. So Alyssa, mm-hmm. Alyssa cannot see the title of this episode yet. She doesn't know what this is, but I'm going to spoil a little bit of it for her. This is a treasure story. Ooh, we haven't had a treasure story in a while. I know. And I was just like feeling hopeless lately. And then I remembered treasure. I was like, oh, (laughs) I could literally be outside and just like stumble upon an old map that leads me to coordinates where there's billions of dollars worth of treasure. God, what a dream. So if you're a new listener and you're thinking treasure, that's not haunted. I just want to say that's super embarrassing for you. And let me tell you why. (laughs) When Allie and I created this podcast back in 2019, there were several discussions about what was deemed haunted and treasure was clearly defined as haunted within the let's get haunted parameters of what constitutes haunted. Additionally, your honor, as you can see on the LGH Instagram page, fan art depicting treasure is most definitely included within the Let's Get Haunted iconography. And finally, as evidence of treasure having previously been both accepted and praised as haunted, there have already been several iconic episodes about treasure, and I will list them now as per my own request. Episode 29, The Cursed Treasure of Oak Island, and who could forget Episode 4, The Curse of the Lost Dutchman's Gold Mine. Your Honor, I rest my case. Treasure is haunted, Your Honor. You guys... Was just like very high, like <laughs> looking at me, just like, are you enjoying this? I'm really enjoying it. I just feel I feel like I should be running somewhere right now. I feel like I need to have someone playing bagpipes on a rolling grass landscape behind like, me as I like charge. Yeah, but with bagpipes. I love that. Someone cue that for Alyssa. Somebody recently DM'd me on Reddit and said hey, what kind of art do you want me to do? Like, do you have any fan art requests? And that's my fan art request. Me stoned in a fox hoodie while Natalia (laughs) plays a bagpipe and tries to get me to find treasure for her. Oh my God, I love that. Like a fox sniffing out treasure. Wow. Yeah, whoa. There's layers to it, just like this episode. Mm -hmm. And Shrek. (laughs) Now that we've got that out of the way, Alyssa, do you have any idea what I'm going to tell you about today? Okay, it has to do with lost treasure. Can you tell me what country it's in? Is it in the United States? Remember I said Russia and Russian Oh, it's Russian. Yes. Okay, yes. I did miss that part, but now I'm re-remembering it. Okay, so Russia, golden eggs. Are they golden alien eggs or are they golden eggs, like Fabergé eggs that someone (gasps) from the monarchy had? Oh, so you know about Fabergé eggs. Oh, of course I know about Fabergé eggs. Oh my God, that makes me so happy because I've talked to so many people recently and have been like, do you know what Fabergé eggs are? And they're like, no. How do people not know what that is? It's very 
common. <laughs> no, it's not. I don't know. But yeah, I know what those are. Those are like those super fancy rich people eggs. Like they don't they don't do anything. It's like a display piece of your wealth and people will have them like under glass, especially in old timey times. And they're made of like jewels and precious metals. Well, that is exactly what this episode is about today, but I'm going to continue to keep going because there's layers to this, as I said. Okay, okay. I'm ready. This is an episode about transformation, like Russian nesting dolls. And I got to say that I just really, on this episode, allowed myself just the freedom of the universe to just take me somewhere for this episode. You can call it intuition. You can call it ADHD. I don't know, but I just took you a ride and enjoyed it. You can call it the Whaley House. <laughs> What I mean is that when I began researching this episode, I ended up like researching something completely different than what I'm going to tell you about today. But what was it? Was it worth it? You be the judge. Okay, I'm ready. Let's go back in time and location to 1883 Russia. Alyssa, do you have any idea what was going on at the end of the 19th century in Russia? Let me cons- let me think about that. There was a war, I bet you anything, and it was maybe to overthrow a monarchy. Definitely. That comes a little bit later. So basically, I don't know anything about what was going on in 1883 Russia, so I <laughs> wikipedia did it. So here's what I found out. According to Wikipedia's page on the history of Russia, 1855 to 1892, Russia was basically going through in uh, like the Industrial Revolution, as was most of the world at that time. Okay. So Russia is basically growing and it's changing from this mostly rural agricultural region, which is dominated by serfdom to a more industrialized state, which is beginning to take its place in the world trade by producing and exporting more goods. The Industrial Revolution is happening. I think Russia's population like more than doubled during this time, and they became the world's like biggest exporter of grains. And there there was just a bunch of stuff happening. And those could be wrong. I'm not entirely sure, but I'm pretty sure that's what it said on Wikipedia. But basically, Russia's having a moment. They're changing. They're transforming. Okay. Okay. They had this czar at the time. His name was Czar Alexander II. And he freed all of these serfs. So you had all of these people who are like peasants working in the fields. And he tells all of them, you guys are um, now able to own the land from the landowners that you've been working. And I don't know the logistics of that, like what that entailed, but he did it. And like over 23 million people were now becoming landowners where before oh, nice. they had been peasants working the land. So he was kind of this like liberal radical czar and he passed a bunch of these reforms that were really cutting edge for their time. But what happens to everyone who's like ahead of their time and cutting edge and changing things and and uh, really going against the status quo? They get murdered. Yes, exactly. Yes. They get murdered. So he was assassinated by a revolutionary organization called the People's Will, which were basically just Russian nihilists, and they brutally assassinated him. It was it was actually like low key, like kind of stupid of an assassination though, because I was reading about it. So what happened was is he's in this horse drawn carriage, and back back in the olden days, like you like you know how you have like a presidential what is it called when it's like all the cars are going procession. Yes, there's a procession, but they're in carriages. So you have like the chief of police or the Russian equivalent of that in a carriage. And then you have like the entourage in a carriage and then you have the czar in a carriage. So it's like a train of all these carriages. 
So they're on all these carriages and they're going through this crowd and there's this big crowd of people and unbeknownst to this political procession that's going through with the czar, there's a bunch of assassins in the crowd and someone throws a bomb at his carriage and then a bunch of people were injured because there's like a huge crowd, right? And the czar, instead of just like getting away from the scene, is literally like, what just happened? And he gets out of the carriage. He gets out of his carriage. He gets out. He looks at the carriage and he's like, wow, look at all this damage. And then he sees people that are like wounded in the street and dying and he expresses remorse for them. And he's like, this is literally so sad. And he says, comes out of his mouth. He goes, thank God I am untouched. But then there were more assassins in the crowd who were waiting and they used that as an opportunity to throw another bomb at the czar once he was out of the carriage and that fatally wounded him. What a bummer. I know. He was really fucked up. His legs were shattered below the knee. His guts were ripped open. His face was mutilated, but he was still alive. And so he asked to be taken to his palace to die and he was transported there and he died about 15 minutes later in the palace which is pretty traumatic i would say right also during that time i would just be like so sketched out to be a politician because the people like they're just always assassinating you you know like you think everything's cool and then you're getting executed yeah there's definitely jfk vibes to this story so far and that's why there's so many more ghosts from olden times because things were just like so much more hardcore his successor, his own son, is Alexander the Third, and I call him Alexander Three sometimes, so I know that's not right, but that's just like when I was typing this up, it's easier to say Alexander Three. I accept it. Yeah. Yeah. A three. Got it. <laughs> Alexander Three was nothing like his father, Alexander II. In fact, he was sort of the opposite. Here's a photo of Alexander Three from 1890. I'm going to send you. <clears throat> Who's who is this? This is Alexander III. This is okay. the son of the the czar that just got executed, who's now going to take over the Russian throne. Okay, so Natalia just sent me an old-timey photo. It's kind of in sepia. It's, I don't think it's quite black and white. Maybe my eyes are just fucked up, though. And he kind of looks like Humpty Dumpty, but, like, <laughs> with cotton glued to his face like he has a big beard and a big mustache and he's got a receding hairline wow brutal Alyssa. well i'm just telling you his face is very smooth like, so and tell me about your new man well he kind of looks like humpty dumpty <laughs> with cotton glued to his face <laughs> honestly i could have said pubes but i chose not to because i don't know if this is a good guy or a bad guy yet so According to Wikipedia, Alexander III was this highly reactionary dude, and he reversed some of the liberal reforms of his father, Alexander II, and he opposed any reform that limited his autocratic rule. But during his time, there were he he didn't have any wars, so he was known as the peacemaker. Okay. But here's some just fun facts about Alexander III, according to Wikipedia. Okay, he was six foot three inches tall. He had a sebaceous cyst on the left side of his nose, which caused him to be mocked by some of his contemporaries. And because of this, he was insecure. So he sat for photographs and portraits with the right side of his face most prominent. I know. It's kind of sad. That's He was also extremely strong. He tore packs of cards in half with his bare hands to entertain his children. That seems like a lie. (laughs) (laughs) And when the Austrian ambassador in St. Petersburg said that Austria would mobilize two or three army corps against Russia, Alexander III twisted a silver fork into a knot and threw it on the plate of the ambassador. He said, 
this is what I'm going to do to your two or three army corps. That's kind of badass. Right? He also disliked social functions. He was an introvert, so he avoided St. <laughs> Petersburg. And at palace balls, he was impatient for the events to end. He even would order each musician of the orchestra to just leave the party <laughs> and then turn off all the lights <laughs> until the guests left. So, like, people would okay, be partying kind of at too. the palace. <laughs> and he would, like, be like, I order the orchestra to leave. And then they all leave and he just... Like blows all the candles and turns all the lights <laughs> off, and the guests are just like, "Okay, I guess <laughs> the party's over." It's um, really funny. He's also afraid of horses. In his childhood, he I guess he had like an unpleasant experience on um, a, a quote bad-tempered mount, and so he didn't like horses. But what do you think of that? I mean, for me, like tearing cards in half to entertain children is like pretty sick. I know you're skeptical of it, but. I'm a fucking full-grown adult, and I would love to see somebody just rip a deck of cards in half. So if one of our listeners knows how to do that or can do that, send us a video of you doing that or attempting to rip a deck of cards in half. Send yeah. it to our, any of our social medias. I would love to see that. I'm getting amped up just thinking about it right now. Look, the idea of it is really cool. I'm not knocking the idea of it. I'm just saying unless decks of cards used to be made out of, like, dirt i don't see how it's possible that he was tearing tearing was it 62 cards 52 52 cards i don't see how he could tear 52 cards in half at, in one fell swoop because he was really strong i guess i don't know yeah guys tag us in it in, in a video i'm i had a lot of cbd tag us in if you <laughs> did it and do it on the camera and then tag us and natalia will see it haven't you heard of people who can like rip a phone book in half oh yeah i guess so yeah. Yeah, but that's like more surface area that you can hold. It's easier. Yeah. I feel like a deck of cards. I don't know. Somebody prove me wrong. Link us to a video. I'm sure one's out there. So this czar, you, does he sound like someone you would l want to marry? No. Let's let's weigh the pros and cons, okay? I made a list okay. here. Okay. All right. Kay. I mean, based on his photo, no, but I also understand <laughs> that looks aren't everything and... He maybe he's a good guy. So pros. He's the czar of Russia, <laughs> which is a pretty <laughs> pretty big pro. He's powerful. Right. He's rich. You're literally going to be a queen or czarina. Um, cons. Also, he's czar of Russia and they get assassinated <laughs> pretty often. His father was literally assassinated. That's how he became the czar. Um, and ultimately, his son and whole family will be assassinated after his death. Pros. You get a bunch of fancy stuff like fancy horses and fancy carriages. Cons, he doesn't like horses. There's even a story of him getting into a carriage with his wife and the horses, I guess, like were rearing up or something. And he was like so scared that he got out of the carriage and his wife is like begging him to get back in the carriage with her. And he's like, no, I won't do it. He's like really stubborn. Um, pros, he can rip a deck of cards in half with his bare hands. He can bend forks and spoons. So he has like useful strength. Cons, what if he gets drunk and breaks everything in your house for fun? Yeah, definitely true. I also just think I would never marry a politician. I feel like you have to be some special kind of sociopath to want to put your family <laughs> through all the scrutiny of being a politician. Like even a good politician, yeah. bad politician, I kind of think they're all just a little bit sociopathic. Right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It takes you can't be like 100% human to do that job. There has no, to be No, absolutely some... not. 
some like screws loose some yeah for sure yeah totally it's like maybe you don't care about people like tearing you down or constantly publishing photos or I don't know like paparazzi and stuff following you around but what about your family I feel like you'd have to be pretty weird to want to put somebody else through that yeah but if there's any like royal people out there who need a wife, I even though I'm pregnant with someone else's <laughs> child and I'm engaged to somebody else, just let me know. I might like depending on who your king of what or queen of wherever. You know, shoot your just shot. Just let me yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> shoot your shot. Send the court jester over to our podcast and we'll see what we can do for you. Crazier shit has happened in the royal family like what I'm about to tell you. So this Alexander III, he needs to get married, obviously, because that was the status quo of the day. And if he's going to be a czar, he needs a czarina, right? So in the 1860s, he falls in love with his mother, his mother's lady-in-waiting. Oh, God, name... I thought you were going to say with his mother. <laughs> no, no, but it's, this is weird. This is weird. Buckle up. He falls in love with his mother's lady-in-waiting, and her name is Maria. And he learns that someone already proposed to her. And he's really upset about this, and he tries to give up his rights of succession in order to marry her instead. And his parents are like, um, no, you're not doing that. And and they tell him instead, hey, hey, our other son, your brother, is who's dying right now, he's literally on his deathbed, he is engaged to this woman, Princess Dagmar of Denmark. And he's going to die. So why don't you just marry your brother's, like, fiancé? And he's like, no, I don't want to do that. I'm in love with this other girl, this Maria. And his parents are like, nope, you're going to marry your brother's fiancé. And then the brother dies. And he gets engaged to her by going to Denmark. And then they're, like, literally looking at photos of his dead brother. And he proposes to her as they're looking at photos of his dead brother brother ew and then she changes her name to maria what (laughs) right yes do you understand that i don't like that why would it's super weird is he trying he's like trying to create a a maria like he's the way that i'm interpreting that is like he's trying to turn this woman that he's been forced to marry into the woman he actually wanted to marry but how weird is that, like, that your sibling was already engaged to somebody else? I mean, I guess r- royal family, it's not that weird, but it, it just seems like it would. it's weird. But whatever. So then he's married to this um, princess of Denmark who changes her name to Maria, and they, they get along. Apparently, there was no adultery in their uh, relationship, and they have children, and everything's good. So Alexander III now has this young wife, Maria... Fedorovna of Denmark and here is a painting of the coronation of Maria from 1883 and it is so opulent it just really showcases the money that this monarchy had so I'm sending that to you and you can describe it wait so was her first name Dagmar before she changed it to Maria yes maybe that's a Danish name I don't know it sounds like a villain name yeah, no, I would change my name to Maria as well if my name was Dagmar. So maybe I'm rethinking some things. Maybe it was just a coincidence. So go ahead and describe that painting of the coronation. So it is a painting of what appears to be either the interior of a palace or the interior of a church. I don't know if you've ever been to Catholic church before, but they have all of those like gold statues and 
uh, super relics. ornate windows and relics and stained glass. That's what this looks like. It's very, very opulent. It's m- mostly gold and red. And mm-hmm. it's basically of a ki- the king and queen standing at the top of some steps there's like a guy with a pope hat so i assume a priest who is blessing them or something and then there's a giant crowd of people i mean there's got to be like hundreds of people in this painting and they're all painted so detail orientedly like you can see like everyone's got different hairstyles and different clothes it's really crazy right and like everything's gold leaf so on the walls there's tons of paintings and they're all gold leaf and like everything that's in this photo is gold and everyone's got capes on it's like what you imagine when you hear about like a royal coronation i feel like right okay so to recap Russia is going through societal industrial revolution. The czar was assassinated. His son, Alexander III, takes the throne. And he's like this big strong man who hates parties and rips (laughs) decks of cards and half for fun. He gets married to this young woman from Denmark named Maria. Now, the reason that I told you this whole backstory is so that you can get more of an idea of the chaos that was Russia during this time. Because as we know here on Let's Get Haunted, political and societal instability is literally how hauntings form. Yes, correct. 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 Yeah. Hauntings come from things like war or famine or just anything fucked up. Haters. Haters. Yeah. (laughs) Now for our story. Ha. It's 1883, and Tsar Alexander III needs to come up with an Easter gift for his wife, Empress Maria Fedorovna of Denmark. This isn't just any Easter. It's also the anniversary of his engagement to Maria. Maria had been quite depressed lately. Like many princesses of the time, she had been sent away from her home to another country to marry a stranger with whom she would be responsible for reigning over a foreign country with. Maria was homesick, and she needed to be cheered up. In light of this, Tsar Alexander III commissioned Peter Carl Fabergé, a jeweler out of St. Petersburg, to create a gift for his wife. And out of this necessity was born the first Fabergé egg. Oh, shit. The egg was a beautiful jeweler's replica of a hen's egg. The Fabergé egg had platinum shell, which split in half to reveal a yolk made of pure gold inside. Then that yolk split in half to reveal a miniature golden hen. Then that golden hen split in half to reveal a tiny Russian imperial crown adorned with diamonds and a red ruby pendant you could wear. Making the gift even more special was that it had been inspired by an existing Danish royal egg with a hen inside, which served as a nod to Maria's home in Denmark. Upon receiving the egg, Maria was so happy that the Tsar made giving jeweled Fabergé eggs on Easter a tradition. And so Alexander appointed Peter Carl Fabergé, the goldsmith to the imperial crown. Peter Carl Fabergé would come to design 50 bejeweled Easter eggs for Alexander and his son, Nicholas II, over the next three decades. Here is a photo of that first egg, Alyssa. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I, first of all, I didn't realize that Fabergé egg 
was called that because the guy who created the very first one had the last name Fabergé. I, I guess I just don't know anything about the history of Fabergé eggs, but I definitely know what they are. Okay, so Natalia just sent me two photos. So the egg looks like a white hen's egg, but you can split it open. And so in this picture, um, the two halves are on opposite sides. There is a golden yolk in one of the halves that it looks like you can pull out. And then there's a golden hen that I assume goes inside the yolk, like Natalia described, and it's sitting in front of these two halves of a shell. But it's basically like a perfect oval, which again, did I not say that this man's face looked like Humpty Dumpty? Humpty Dumpty is an egg. This this is all just like falling into place now. I mean, it's very opulent. And it's also like, it reminds me of a Russian nesting dolls oh, yeah. because it's Absolutely. like each egg opens up to open something else and then and then there's something inside of that and so all of these Fabergé eggs that the czar has made there his only his only um stipulation I guess I should say for the tradition is that the egg has to open up and have a surprise in it just like an Easter That's egg cute. Would, right I like that and I guess I didn't know this, but and there's a tradition of presenting painted eggs to loved ones in Russia. Oh, cute. Do you do you give painted Easter eggs to anyone? Do you have that like tradition in your family? Uh, when I was little, we definitely painted Easter eggs, but I don't remember painting them for the reason of giving them to anybody. I just remember we had like an egg coloring kit where you could spin the egg around yeah. in this thing and it would color it with food coloring and then you could paint it yeah. with like tiny paintbrushes. Um, and we would always do hard, hard boiled eggs. That way we could eat them afterwards. But no, I've never heard of the tradition of giving away a colored egg before, but I like that. Easter is the most important festival in the Russian Orthodox Church because it's celebrating the resurrection. So it's always celebrated in the spring, which is this time that Russia is finally seeing the end of their like really long, harsh winter. And therefore, it's this time of rebirth. So an egg is the symbol of that rebirth of Russia as well. So in Russia, it's a tradition to present people with eggs. So I guess if you're like the super rich monarch, then you're like, okay, here's like a bejeweled egg. Yeah, that makes sense. And so Fabergé eggs were born. As this tradition grows... Like, as time goes on, every single year, Peter Carl Fabergé is making an egg for the Russian monarchy. And the eggs get more and more extravagant. They include walking elephants inside, clocks, priceless Whoa. jewels, brooches, etc. And the tradition is basically that each egg has to open to reveal a surprise inside. So they get, like, more and more crazy. In fact... In the years between 1883 and 1917, Peter Carl Fabergé made a total of guess how many jeweled Easter eggs for the Tsar. Wait, uh, how many years did you say that he was the guy in charge of the eggs? From, from 1883 to 1917, but you literally don't have to think that hard. How many, okay. how many eggs do you I'm, think? Just say I don't a, know. Okay, a number. Of 20. 69. What? He made a total of 69 jeweled Easter eggs for oh, the czar, the aristocracy, and the industrial and financial elite. They're now known as Fabergé eggs, and they are a re world-renowned symbol of overt luxury, as you said at the beginning of this episode. It's like millionaires just fight over these things. Yeah. They've been in, like, James Bond. They're, like, they've been in movies before. I think in Ocean's Eleven or Ocean's Twelve, one of those movies, like, one of the prizes was, like, a, a Fabergé eggs that they're trying to get. So here's some photos of those eggs. Okay. I can't believe he made 69 eggs. That that just makes this story right up our, our alley. 
Okay, guys, so I am looking at a set of four pictures that Natalia has sent me. The first one is of an egg, and it's sitting in a gold stand. That way it can stand upright even though it's an oval. And it's decorated with, like, a bunch of gold. I think that's called filigree. And it's a dark blue egg, and it looks like it opens up. Then the second photo is of a, a silver egg with gold filigree around it. These are very, very detailed. It's kind of hard for me to even see what they are because they're so detailed. I believe the inside of this egg, the second egg, is a replica of a golden statue. It looks like it might be of a, a woman. And then the third egg, oh, this is cool. The third egg is red. And it is also on a stand. It has gold filigree. And in the inside, there is a golden man kicking a ball. Then the fourth one is another red egg. It splits in half. And inside, it looks like there might be a gold angel. It's kind of hard to tell. Yeah, you guys, these are very, very detailed. It, basically, imagine a carousel inside of an egg. That's what this looks like. It's just very ornate, very decorated. Lots of jewels, gold, silver, red, blue, I mean, anything you could possibly think of. And then she also sent me a video. I'm going to click play on this video. Yeah, so the video is of this elephant, this automation of an elephant. It's crazy. It's like so over the top. It's like this jeweled ruby elephant with um, like a little guy on top of it. And then it comes with this diamond encrusted key and you wind it up and then the elephant literally walks around. So the video is of that elephant walking around. Oh shit. Yeah. So as Natalia was describing it, it lined up perfectly with the video. So this guy sticks a diamond encrusted key into the body of this elephant and twists it a few times and now I'm seeing the elephant is walking and it's super shiny it has jewels all over it I mean this is pretty incredible especially for the time period it was built in yeah it's crazy to me and so that elephant actually came out of this egg called the diamond trellis egg which was found pretty recently oh, they wow. thought that they had lost this like elephant that was inside there forever and then some random person like found it and now it's been reunited with its egg but all of these eggs are like so over the top you guys they're just like Alyssa was saying super detailed but they're worth like millions and millions and millions of dollars like 33 million dollars to be exact is what one of them is going for oh, right geez. now so they they've got like diamonds all over them and rubies and they're just so over the top they, they were really the, the symbols of how rich the Russian monarchy was. And what happens next is why these eggs are haunted. So basically, after beginning this beautiful Fabergé egg tradition, Alexander III dies and then his son takes the throne as the last Russian monarch. And his son and his son's family are known as the Romanovs. And they include Emperor Nicholas II, his wife, Empress Alexandra, and their five children, Olga, Tatiana, Maria, Alexei, and Anastasia. And there's even a movie that's like very loosely based off of the Romanovs. Did you ever see Anastasia? I did, yeah. And is this also, is this story going to include Rasputin? No, I Rasputin needs his own episode. Yeah, exactly. No, I didn't include him in this. With his haunted uh, penis, yes. What? Natalia, we talked about this season one and you had the exact same reaction. You were like, what do you mean he has a weird penis? And I was like, he has his penis is in a jar in a museum. He has like a super long, crazy penis. Yeah, I just wanted you to say that again. Here's it a photo is. of of the Romanovs. And um, what do you think of them? Oh, very 
very beautiful. Um, so middle is the dad, I assume, and he's surrounded by mm-hmm. one, two, three, four, four, five daughters, unless one of them's the wife. With which, if that's the case, good for him. And then a little boy as well. One of them is the wife. Wow. Yeah. So nice. Good yeah, job. but be- beautiful family. But as we know on this podcast. I wouldn't be telling this story if everything just ended with them being beautiful and fine. So what happens next is that the Russian monarchy is overthrown by communist forces and rebels, and the Romanovs are exiled during what we call the Russian Revolution. And the Romanovs are forced to be prisoners in their own palace. And I know what you're thinking, like, ooh, prisoner in your own palace. Wow, that's so horrible. Just, <laughs> what a tough life. Yeah, like when celebrities were quarantining in their, like, multi-million dollar mansions know, and everyone was so like, annoying. no one cares. Yeah. But this is actually pretty bad. I'm going to tell you how, how it went down. So when this all happened, the Romanovs tried to escape to Britain, but they fa- it failed. They were caught and they were evacuated instead to this place in Siberia. Um, allegedly to protect them from the rising tide of revolution. So like people, came, uh, the the government came in and was like, oh, we're going to protect you from these communist rebels. Like you need to come to this place and you're going to be safe here. It's in Siberia, which is like the middle of fucking nowhere when you're used to the city. So the Romanovs are transported to what is the former governor's mansion and they are living in considerable comfort. But then the Bolsheviks come to power in October of 1917 and things go downhill really fast from there. Conditions of their imprisonment become more strict. The government begins speaking more frequently of putting Nicholas, the father, on trial and they forbade Nicholas from wearing his epaulettes, which are those like fringes on the shoulders when you think of like a Disney prince. Right. And I guess those those things like signify ranking in the army you know what i'm talking about like the tassel yeah. like fringe tassels mm-hmm. yeah i just thought they were to look baller but like yeah. apparently that means you're like a big deal um so they say no you can't wear those anymore and then the sentries began scrawling graphic drawings on the fence to quote offend his daughters and then they place the family on soldiers rations and then they dismiss their 10 servants and then they give up their butter and coffee and then they had to move to a place known as or translated as, quote, the house of special purpose. And in this house of special purpose, they get this ominous message by a Bolshevik war commissar in the local newspaper. And it reads, quote, all those under arrest will be held as hostages and the slightest attempt at counter-revolutionary action in the town will result in the summary execution of the hostages. So now they know at this point, like, this is not good. Yeah, like we're going to die. We're, it's not looking good. Communist revolution is happening and we're a super rich monarchy. Like we're kind of like the opposite of what the communists are talking about. They're kind of like the communists want to redistribute the wealth and the monarch is like, you know, they're like living with servants and have these Fabergé eggs. And are- yeah, they're the symbol of the wealth. Exactly. The family's imprisonment gets even more strict. They're forbidden to speak any language other than Russian. They're not permitted to access their luggage, which was stored in an outhouse in the interior courtyard. They have their cameras and photographic equipment confiscated. Their family is subjected to regular searches of their belongings, confiscation of their money for, quote, safekeeping by the Ural Regional Soviet's treasurer, and any attempts to remove Alexandra or her daughter's gold bracelets from their wrists are punished and they take all the jewelry from them and uh, basically say, we're going to safe keep this for you. And then their house 
is surrounded by this big fence and the initial fence encloses the garden so that like you can't really see into the house but apparently you could still see their feet from the outside so they put up a second fence on the outside so not good now they're living basically on rations they're not allowed to do anything and they're slowly being walled in in this house because up until this point like things the political unrest is happening like no one really knows what's going on you have this uprising that happened but the royal family is still the royal family they've just been transported to this like prison house type thing and um you can't just like outright murder the royal family right so right they're just being imprisoned here here's a photo of the family while they're imprisoned and a photo of the house that they're imprisoned in natalia sent me two photos the first one so they're both in black and white the first one is definitely a stark contrast to the previous one she showed me where everyone's looking really beautiful and sitting around their dad this one is just a one two three four four women um it looks yeah, it's like just it's the, the girls daughters from the family and they yeah. it almost looks like they're dressed in male clothing almost like boys clothing it or peasants clothing i'm not sure what it would be for the time period but they're all wearing these little hat beanies and then they have on the exact same shirt and the exact same like over shirt so it it's just seems like, yeah, they're being told what they can and can't wear, maybe even provided with uniforms. And then the second mm. photo that Natalia sent shows this crazy wall around this house and it has um, guards stationed outside with guns. Yeah, it just it looks like its own little tiny fortress. Yeah, so the Bolshevik revolution happens and now the family is stuck here in this, quote, house of special purpose. Um Things get even worse. All the windows in the family's room for rooms were sealed shut and they're covered with newspapers. The family's only source of ventilation was a window in the Grand Duchess's bedroom, but peeking out of it was strictly forbidden. And one time a sentry fired a shot at Anastasia when she looked out of the window, the little girl. The prisoners were required to ring a bell each time they wished to leave their rooms to use the bathroom or to go to the lavatory on the landing. Strict rationing of the water supply was enforced. Recreation was allowed only twice a day in the garden for half an hour in the morning and half an hour in the afternoon. The prisoners were in ordered not to engage in conversation with any of the guards. Rations were mostly tea and black bread for breakfast and cutlets or soup with meat for lunch. And the prisoners were informed that they were no longer able to live like czars. The family is not allowed to receive any visitors or receive or send any letters. So they can't like ask anyone for help or talk to their other royal family that lives that like made it to Britain or whatever. And in fact, Princess Helen of Serbia visits the house in June, but she's refused entry at gunpoint by the guards, so she can't even get in there. And then in early June, the family was no longer allowed to even read the daily newspaper. So now things have gotten really bad. And I'm, I'm guessing if you're probably the father and the mother of this family, you know that something bad is going to happen right. when they start isolating you to this point. So the Bolsheviks lied to the Romanovs and they tell them that their loyal servants are being sent away from the government when in reality they just took their servants and executed them. Oh. The 16 men of the internal guard slept in the basement, hallway, and commandant's office during shifts, and the external guard number 
outnumbered 56 men. So this tiny house had 56 men outside, 16 men inside. By the end of the revolution, there were over 300 guards at this house just watching this family. The guards were allowed to also bring in like sex workers or women for sex in the basement room. So they were like literally always drunk and like engaging in sex acts and just behaving as, you know, drunk soldiers would at that time around the family. So it's like not like a pleasant experience. Right. I can't describe to you how... (laughs) impossible it would have been to escape from this house right like there's like machine guns pointed at you 300 guards everywhere people are writing obscene messages on all the walls around telling you that you're like trash that you don't deserve to live anymore because you're like a czar and they're like taunting them stealing your jewelry inappropriately touching you etc etc basically there's no escape and the living conditions are really bad is my point then at midnight on july 17th the Romanov's doctor is told you need to go uh, wake everybody up and because we're going to move them again. So the doctor goes and wakes everyone up. They get fully dressed, prepared to move to their next location. And then they put them in this tiny semi-basement room, which is six meters by five meters or 20 feet by 16 feet. So really small. And the prisoners are told to wait in that room while a truck is going to come that's going to transport them to their next location. But Instead of a truck showing up, a few minutes later, an execution squad of secret police is brought in and they read aloud this order given to them by the Ural Executive Committee that says, Nikolai Alexandrovich, in view of the fact that your relatives are continuing their attack on Soviet Russia, the Ural Executive Committee has decided to execute you. And then Nicholas literally turns, faces his family and says, what, what? And then they repeat the order again. Nikolai Alexandrovich, in view of the fact that your relatives are continuing their attack on Soviet Russia, the Ural Executive Committee has decided to execute you. And then they raise up their weapons and the Empress and the Grand Duchess try to bless themselves. But before they can even do that, they just literally start shooting all of them. Jesus. So there's like no rhyme or reason to this they just start shooting and obviously it's like a really tiny room so these people are like running the romanovs are like trying to hide but there's nowhere for them to go yurovsky which is the commanding officer reportedly raised his colt gun at nicholas's torso and fired nicholas fell dead pierced with at least three bullets in his upper chest then the intoxicated peter ermakov who was the military commissar shot and killed alexandra with a bullet wound to the head He then shot at Maria, who ran for the double doors, hitting her in the thigh. The remaining executioners shot chaotically over each other's shoulders until the room was so filled with smoke and dust that no one could even see anything at all in the darkness. They couldn't hear any commands and they were just confused. They didn't know what was going on. So people outside are like, what's going on? We can hear like tons of gunshots going on in this house. And then the guards run back in and they're like, hey, we need to keep it down. So then they just started taking their bayonets, which is like the knife end on the end of their rifle and just stabbing the family to death. And mind you, there's children like they had like a little boy and three girls and like the little boy and the little girl are young. They even got their dog, the family dog. No, why they just the executed, dog? took the whole family out. It's oh fucked God, up, this right? This is fucked. Then the sad part is that some of the children, thinking that they were getting 
um, they were moving to their next location. They had smuggled some of their jewels that they had like kept hidden from the gu- the guards this whole time. They had put them like in the lining of their coats and their clothes. So some of the bullets and the bayonets like didn't kill them right away because they had like this jeweled armor on and so they had to keep trying to kill the children so the children literally saw their parents die and then were stuck in this room being bayoneted like stabbed to death essentially until they finally died i can't i can't even imagine if you thought that execution was bad the disposal of the bodies was absolutely horrifying I'm not going to get into it as much, but basically everyone was drunk who distru- who tried to dispose of these bodies. And in fact, the leading officer was like so drunk that he only brought one shovel to bury these um, bodies. And when the commander found out, he was he was super pissed. So he was like, OK, well, we're not going to be able to like dig graves or and we're not going to be able to use our manpower to dig like a hole big enough to put everyone in so they just found a hole that was already in existence and just pushed the bodies in there and then poured acid on them thinking like okay this is a shallow grave but like maybe if we just disfigure the bodies no one will know who it is right and then but their car that was transporting the bodies to the hole broke down it got stuck in the mud and so then they had to use wagons to carry the bodies and then at this point they're drunk that like nothing's going to plan the grave is too shallow so they're like okay like let's let's just um leave some of the bodies in this hole and then we'll find another hole and put the children in that one so that even if someone finds this they won't be able to tell that it was the romanovs because they'll be like oh this isn't couldn't be the family they had children and there's no children this is horrific so horrific so then they dig another hole they put the children in there and then they take like these railroad ties and they like take their car and drive over the railroad ties to like smush everything down so super not clean burial like anyone could just like stumble upon this muddy area that has like clear tracks of people's you know tires and people and shovel and whatever like you could definitely if you wanted to uncover this mass grave or whatever. And they even buried the dog in there. The burial was so shitty that regular citizens literally found the grave in 1979. But the Russian government was like, no, this isn't a Romanov gravesite um, because you like wrecked the evidence. So like no one can really tell. So it was, quote, inconclusive. And then the children's grave was found in 2007. But the Russian government stored the remains in state archives pending a decision from the church, which demanded a, quote, more thorough and detailed examination so basically the russian government isn't taking responsibility for the murder of the romanovs is what it sounds like to me well 2007 that's so recent too like that's not that long ago so basically super horrific way to die for that family right and then on top of that the bodies weren't they weren't given proper burial at all yeah no definitely not like there's no like church um ceremony there's no like last rites there's none of that yeah and just like a humiliating way to die too you know i I just think that would be just so i can't even imagine what it would be like to be the parents of those children and you know like you want to protect your child you want to protect your children and make them feel like everything's okay and even even if you know your family is going to be executed, like I feel like as a parent, you would try to like make it calm and and relaxing for the children so that they wouldn't be stressful, right. you know. And Definitely. then in that instance, the parents they killed the parents first, 
and the children just like had to to endure that i just it makes me really sad um so during all of that chaos the what what do you think happened to all of the wealth that was in the roman the romanov family like the the russian monarchy the palace all of the artifacts inside the fabergé eggs all of the jewelry all of the um traditions and relics that were associated with the monarch yeah if i were a drunk soldier guarding um like a wealthy family or a wealthy palace or something and then i were to come across some of those relics right like you'd probably take it because right. it sounds like this is a time where wealth redistribution is happening mm-hmm. and this family is a symbol of wealth so okay they're dead now all of their stuff is up for grabs i could see that kind of being the mentality yes so you're exactly right. Um, during all the chaos, the eggs were, quote, stored for safety by the communist government. So what happens is the communist government comes by and they're like, hey, we're going to take all these paintings, all the artifacts, everything, and we're going to store them for safekeeping um, during the revolution so that they don't get messed up or whatever. But then of those things that were stored, a lot of them were sold. A lot of them were looted by soldiers and some of them were just stolen or lost. So of the original 69 eggs, only 61 remain. So where are the other eight eggs? Right. This is the mystery that has had the art world in debate for years. And honestly, I don't think anyone would give a fuck about these eggs, except that the eggs are worth so much money. So this experts estimate that the Fabergé eggs value is around $33 $33 million and they give or take for each one because some of them are more rare than others and some of these eggs have been found separated from their surprise like we talked about the diamond trellis egg that had the um, elephant that walked around inside of it, it, it mm-hmm. the diamond trellis egg belonged to this like really rich family but its surprise was found 80 years later in a private collection and then they reunited them another egg was found in a Buckingham Palace cabinet just like in there And others have been found in really, really unexpected places. Like one was literally found in a flea market in the United States. No way. Yes. This this story, what I'm about to tell you, the short like little blurb about how this next egg was found is like what I really want to happen to me and you and everyone listening to this story. (laughs) Okay, guys. So here's what happened. In 2013... There's this Midwest metal dealer and he's just like going around his job, kind of like Pawn Stars, I'm assuming, where you just like go and find like scraps of metal or like find like old jewelry and watches and melt them down. Or like antique roadshow. Exactly. And he sees this golden item at an antique mark and he buys it for $14,000 thinking that he's just going to melt it down for scrap. And the surprise in the egg is this watch called a Vacheron Constantine watch. So the guy tries to sell this egg at a slightly above the gold value because it like has this watch in it. So for 15000 but nobody's buying this $15,000 golden egg with a watch in it. And he's like, fuck. So he goes on Google and he types in egg and Vacheron Constantine, the name of the watch, into Google. And to his surprise, there comes up an article by Telegraph on a surviving Fabergé egg that looks and sounds a lot like the egg that he has and he's like what and in the article there's this art dealer talking about this egg that's lost and so he googles the art dealer's name and finds this art dealer and then 
goes to London, tells the art dealer, like, hey, I saw your article. Here's my story. I think I found this egg at this just random antique store in the Midwest. And of course, the art dealer's like, um, you're trash. You're a garbage person. There's yeah, no like, way. You don't know. Yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. And then also, like, why the fuck would the egg be in the middle of the Midwest at an antique store, you know? But he's like... right shows her a picture of the egg back at his house and then she's like okay shit i mean that kind of really looks exactly like it maybe this is a fake i don't know but i gotta go find out and see so she flies to the his house and when she gets there the faberge egg is literally sitting on a table next to a cupcake and i'm gonna show you a picture of that Oh, wow. Okay, so Natalia just sent me a picture. Yeah, it's like, this reminds me of like my childhood home. You can see those ugly blinds in the background. (laughs) No shade if you have these blinds. The house I'm renting also has these blinds. So I'm in the same boat as you guys. But you know, those those blinds that like hang down and they're just big, like sheet pieces. And then you can... Yeah, you can like twirl this little thing, this little um, wand. It's like a big strip of plastic. Yeah. If I weren't on so much melatonin, I would be able to tell you what this is called. But yeah, it's 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 like it's just blinds, you guys. Like office it's blinds. Not, it's yeah, like office blinds. And then in so that's in the background. Then in the foreground, it's just like a kitchen counter with this crazy ass ornate looking Faberge egg next to a chocolate sprinkle cupcake that's just sitting on like a brown paper bag or something. Yeah, and there's like bubble wrap and tape in the background and like a pen. Like like the, these eggs are th- on display in museums all over the world. Like you would not expect right. them to be on somebody's dirty kitchen counter like not protected at all, you know? So, right. The dealer when they see this egg sitting on the kitchen next to the cupcake, they knew right away. They're like, "Hey, man, let me tell you about what you have in your possession right now." And she says to him, this is this egg that you have sitting on your kitchen table is worth $33 million. And the Jeez. guy literally drops to the floor. Like, that's, yeah, that's insane. <laughs> yeah. I, so I, I can't even conceive of that much money. Yeah. And he literally just found it at some antique mark. So according to this article that I read by Rob Bates for JCK online quote of the 50 Imperial eggs so there were 69 but 50 of them were given to the royal family the other eggs were mm-hmm. just given to like other rich aristocrats in the area um, so of the 50 Imperial eggs the whereabouts of 42 of them are known but eight are missing one of them that was found was that egg that the dealer in Midwest found. But seven of them are still missing. So five of those eggs are believed to have been destroyed. But the other three maybe escaped Russia. And that golden egg was among those three. So according to that, there might be two more somewhere outside of Russia. We don't know. But we don't know if they're outside of Russia. We don't know if they're like in other countries. We have no idea where these are because as we know, the Bolsheviks just sold off a bunch of this stuff or looted or stole things. I mean, it could have just been like some 18-year-old soldier or some teenage soldier was like put one in his pocket and then like put it in the back of safekeeping in some secret spot, some random place, you know, and like never went back for it. I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to make a prediction. I think one of the Fabergé eggs is 
in the at the bottom of the Oak Island sinkhole. <laughs> That's what I've decided. So this brings me to my point. The Bolsheviks, as we know, had this policy of selling treasure, not destroying it like they claimed that they did. So the other missing eggs are probably somewhere out there in the world somewhere. And any one of us could find them and instantly become multimillionaires. But what nobody is willing to talk about is the fact that these eggs are fucking haunted. Okay, have you ever heard this? No, tell me. The eggs are haunted. So as we know, spirits attach themselves to artifacts, especially in things as significant as like traditional eggs that you gifted to each other on Easter. Um, And in a press release for the Digital Journal, it's mentioned that there is actual paranormal activity surrounding the Fabergé eggs, which are on display at NYC's Metropolitan Museum of Art. So ghost hunters have gone to this museum of art and they've taken their like readers and all all of their like ghost hunting shit and they found anomalies around specifically the Fabergé eggs. Quote, New York's own paranormal investigators, Stu and Pete Candle, aka the Ghost Doctors, are leading groups of ghost hunters through the winding hallways, rooms, and galleries of NYC's Metropolitan Museum of Art in search of supernatural happenings. Furthermore, it seems that their past explorations on this iconic landmark have uncovered some strange phenomena in the areas surrounding the Met's Royal Fabergé egg installation. Ooh. Quote, the Met is a virtual warehouse of priceless paintings and antiquities, which make it the perfect hunting grounds when looking for paranormal activity, says Dr. Stu. Side note, these people are calling them the ghost doctors. So now his name is literally Dr. Stu. Love it. (laughs) In fact, recently while passing through the section of the Met that housed the famous Fabergé display, something unusual happened. According to the ghost doctors, they came upon the hallway that housed a priceless display of Fabergé eggs. Quote, while passing in the vicinity of the Fabergé eggs, we picked up some very unusual readings from our instruments, which were accompanied by some strange audio recordings. This recent encounter, therefore, moved this area of the museum up on our list for further investigations, says Dr. Stu. Furthermore, according to the ghost doctors... It is believed by some in the paranormal community that ghostly spirits can be attached to various objects or artifacts. What do you think of that, Alyssa, of the artifacts having paranormal activity surrounding them, specifically the Fabergé eggs? Because it's not everywhere in the Met and it's not everywhere that these ghost doctors have gone. It's literally just the Fabergé eggs. I have several thoughts. First of all, where do I go to become a ghost doctor? That is the most (laughs) pressing thing to me out of this entire episode. I want to become a ghost doctor. Tell me how to do it. Okay. Second of all, yes, I believe that these eggs are haunted as shit. And the reason why I believe that they're haunted as shit is because anything political to me is already haunted by nature. Like I said, I feel like government in general is mostly, if not completely, comprised of sociopathic narcissists. Mm-hmm. So that is is haunted. There's going to be bad vibes in every single government, in my personal opinion. Um, also, the way that people get to those positions of power, it's really 
pretty much impossible to get to a position of power honestly. I think Mm -hmm. that no matter what country you're from, what type of government you have, there's always some level of corruption and people are backstabbing each other, you know, stepping over each other to get to the positions that they're in. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that the Russian monarchy was any different. Mm -hmm. And then just like that level of wealth, too, is is I again, I just feel like to have that level of wealth, you can't do it ethically. Mm -hmm. So it's blood money paying for these super ornate eggs. Yeah. Plus, you have to think of the materials that went into those eggs in order to, you know, mine for diamonds, for example. It's literally child slave labor. Mm -hmm. So I can just imagine so many layers of haunted surrounding these eggs. And then the people who retrieved these eggs in most cases were looting or stealing. Um, It sounds like you may have hinted at a lot of these people, like soldiers, drunk soldiers, were like kind of rapists. Yeah. So um, it just seems like a lot of different layers of bad people doing bad things. So yeah. to me, that definitely sounds like cursed eggs. And I wouldn't put it past a rich person to put a curse on a particularly valuable object that they have, like some type of curse where, oh, if this is ever stolen, may the person who steals it have bad luck for the rest of their lives. You know what I mean? Yeah, one thing I, I'm going to add now that you brought it up, I wasn't going to bring it up earlier, trigger warning, by the way, um, when they took the dead bodies to go and like bury them or whatever, some of the drunk soldiers that were around were like really pissed because they thought that they were going to be the execution squad, not just like the disposal squad. So they're like, why did you bring us dead bodies? We wanted them to be alive. And then two of the shul- soldiers lifted up the skirt of the Duchess and- <sighs> fingered her genitals and then said that oh now i can die happy because i touched quote the royal cunt to a dead body that uh, yeah see i you didn't explicitly first of all that's fucking disgusting i want to throw up but i also kind of figured that that probably happened because you're talking about I mean, it just the way you were describing these people, it just sounded like that's one of their goals. It's like, oh, now we get to like do desecrate the body of, yeah, the duchess or the heiress or whoever it may be. Yeah. Posthumously. Yeah. So all the the reasons that you brought up are reasons that the eggs are haunted. And also the fucking entire family was executed during the Russian Revolution and they weren't laid to rest properly. So like that kind of shit pisses off spirits. And then they attach themselves to their their objects. Like, as we know, don't fucking have weird ass old mirrors and like old armoires and dressers and shit in your house. Right. Like from the past. So we can only imagine. Imagine that a ghost is going to want to haunt a Fabergé egg because that sounds way better than some crusty old book or something. Exactly. Well, and also the uh, Maria or Maria, formerly known as Dagmar, she really liked that Fabergé egg, that very first one she got. Like it was reported that she was in a deep depression. Mm -hmm. Then she received that egg and suddenly it like reminded her of her homeland and it reminded her of her status and that her husband loves her and blah, blah, blah. So I could definitely see her soul, especially wanting to attach itself onto that Fabergé egg because it seemed like it held a lot of meaning to her. Now, let me ask you, Alyssa. Would you yes. try to find these eggs? Yes. Love that. <laughs> My next question is, would you rather be rich and haunted or poor and not haunted? 
Well, at this time, I feel like I'm lower middle class and haunted. So if (laughs) I could just get up to like, if honestly, I think there's a certain level of haunting I would accept to have more comfortableness in life. Like if I just knew that I could pay all of my medical bills, but every once in a while, like a little, uh, an old woman whispers in my ear at night, like that's fine. I can put up with that. But if it's like, oh, every time you ever have a good moment, uh, like the Grim Reaper comes and kills someone you love and but you get a million dollars, then obviously the answer is no. So I think it just <laughs> depends on levels of wealth and like and levels of haunting, more importantly. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think this isn't the only story where we've seen people who are super wealthy suffer. Like the Kennedy curse is very similar. Right. And I think we mm-hmm. sort of talked about at the end of that how like that was sort of the price that they paid for living this opulent lifestyle where they could take private jets and go skiing and do all these things. um, It's sad, but you know, the things that happened to them wouldn't have happened to someone who wasn't on like private jets or skiing. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Like most of us will never have a chance to crash in a private jet because we'll never have a chance to fly in a private jet. Exactly. Yeah. So, so the wealthier you are, the higher your exposure to tragedy might be just based on the number of things you have access to that the average person doesn't have access to but in that time that short period of your life (laughs) but you're gonna have a great time yeah that's the the age-old question you guys comment below would you rather be rich and haunted or poor and not haunted i would fucking rather be rich and haunted because i feel like i'm yeah like i'm already haunted where i'm at so like why not just be rich you know right well Or do you agree with me? Tell us in the SoundCloud comments. And you think it all depends on the level of haunting in relation to the level of wealth. Again, if I were told, hey, once a year, this creepy old night hag is going to come into your house and she's going to whisper in your ear all fucking night. (laughs) But you get a guaranteed like minimum income of 100,000. Mama, let me whisper in your ear. Whisper in your ear. Tell you something that you might like to hear. I got a Fabergé egg and it looks so soft. Mind if I hide it and see if you, I don't know. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, wow. Wow. That was yeah, really anyway, good. leave us a comment in the SoundCloud. I was if- fascinated. I was fascinated. Um, Leave a comment in the SoundCloud finishing the lyrics to the Yin Yang Twins whisper song, but about Fabergé eggs. Also leave a comment in the SoundCloud if you think it would be worth it to be haunted, to be rich. Now, I hope you guys are all really inspired to go on this millionaire billionaire egg hunt because here are the seven eggs that are unaccounted for. Okay. According to this article by FabergéLand.com, we've got... (laughs) We've got number one. It's called the hen with sapphire pendant. It is exactly what it sounds like. On the inside, you see a golden hen that's been decorated with rose diamonds, and the hen is picking up a sapphire egg from its nest. The sapphire egg is actually a pendant that can be worn. This missing Fabergé egg was originally made in 1886, and it hasn't been seen since. Number two, we've got cherub with chariot. It shows an angel pulling a chariot. The chariot is laden with an egg studded with diamonds and sapphires, as the name suggests. The angel is actually a working clock that opens up every hour, and this egg hasn't been seen since 1941. 
The next one is Necessaire. The Necessaire egg was a complete beauty with all the works of rubies, emeralds, diamonds, and sapphires, but the glitter doesn't stop there. Fabergé continues the shine of the jewelry inside the egg where there's 13 diamond jewelry accessories. Haunted. 13 diamond jewelry accessories. Why would you do that? The shine of this egg was last seen when it was brought to England in 1952 and it was never seen since. Mauve. This egg, the mauve egg, is named for its gorgeous mauve-colored enamel, complete with rose-cut diamonds and pearls. To continue the love theme that seems to be displayed, the egg held a heart-shaped portrait of the czar, his wife, and their first child. The frame surprise that's like inside the egg has been found, but the actual egg is still missing. Number five, Empire Nephrite. The golden base egg was studded with a few diamonds, but the real focus is inside. It held a tiny frame of Alexander III. It's been debated that someone found this real Fabergé egg for sale in the past and bought it, but most historians disagree. They just don't know where it is. Number six, the Royal Danish. The Royal Danish egg has a surface of enamel and gold with a precious stone detail. There are also small heraldic lions and the royal arms symbol on the egg inside the egg is a portrait of the empress's parents the king and queen of denmark and lastly number seven alexander the third commemorative egg this egg is the most elusive of the bunch it has a platinum white and gold enamel with diamond clusters all around the surface inside it it celebrated Alexander III with a tiny golden bust of his profile. The only way historians even found out about this egg was by seeing a black and white photo of the egg. It's been missing since before the Russian Revolution, so it's definitely oh. hidden deep. And as you know, the last egg was the third imperial egg, which that guy found in 2013 at a flea market. So you guys, That's fucking let crazy. the egg hunt begin. Yes, Anyone's the ultimate Easter change. egg hunt. But beware, if you get these eggs, not only will you be haunted, you also might have to talk to the ghost doctors. <laughs> yeah. That's Excellent my episode. Story, Natalia. I loved it. Thank you so much. I didn't know any of that. I, on, I knew what Fabergé eggs were, but I didn't know this entire backstory, like this whole origin story. I didn't know that that was a guy's last name. I knew that they were owned by rich people, but I didn't realize all of the haunted shit surrounding them. So thank you for educating me. Yeah. And it's really weird because like I was looking up who owns the other eggs and if they're not in like a private collection on display, a lot of them are just like rich oil tycoons. Like there's like this couple in Houston that's like a rich oil tycoon people and they just have a bunch of these eggs and and art and stuff i don't know do you know what this also reminds me of just adding another layer layer of hauntedness to this is i feel like this is another example of things that should be in a museum but rich people have just bought them and a lot of the ways that they purchased them were probably unethically right because we don't know where a lot of them are so it reminds me for example of different countries that have these really important like Egyptian relics or Aztec Mm -hmm. relics and the countries where those you know dynasties were located they're like hey why like give us back our relics like you plundered these or you obtained them in an ill-gotten way and so that also adds a level of hauntedness right like you you bought this like Egyptian mummy on the black market from someone who stole it from a tomb yeah exactly yeah so I think that just adds a whole different layer 
Yeah. Right well, in time excellent. for Easter. Right. Yes. This is very timely, very um, on season for us. We very rarely do seasonal episodes other than on Halloween, of course. So I think that this was perfect. If you guys are a talented artist and you are bored, don't uh, don't. You know what? Here, I have an idea for you. <laughs> make an LGH. <laughs> make an LGH Fabergé egg. Yeah. <gasps> oh my god, I would love that. Yeah, you I can draw that. it or animate it. Yeah, I would love to see what the surprise is inside too. Yeah. Alternatively, draw a picture of me and Natalia hunched over in my closet, me wearing a fox onesie <laughs> with red eyes, and she's holding a Fabergé egg. <laughs> Well, Alyssa, do you want to do our sign-off? BRB, got to go find a Fabergé egg, sell it on the black market, and redistribute the wealth to every single listener who votes for us in the Shorty Awards. Oh, wow. Not where I thought you were going to go with that, but great. But it's from yeah, the guys, heart. Vote for us, Shorty Awards 2021. Let's let's change let's this. Let's fucking do it. Let's show Fox Sports. Let's beat Merriam-Webster Dictionary into a pulp, <laughs> even though she's done nothing wrong. And... <laughs> Go to the link in our bio on our Instagram page. Bye. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.